thank you, Ruth. Um, as we uh, work through our end of summer journey through the book of James, we're to James chapter 3 this morning. So you want to take out your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3, page 978. And you'll want to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to work through that whole chapter section by section. So James chapter 3. It's a familiar chapter, as Mindy mentioned, that we're that James focuses on, on one specific muscle of ours, the tongue. And I'll confess that I had, um, I had a great intro all planned for this morning. And uh, it all fell apart for me. You see, I, I planned to have this, this little cooler up front in the, in the front row. And I was going to, right about now, I was going to open it up. And I was going to haul out a nice big cow tongue for everybody to see. Right? And so I... I assumed you could go to the local butcher and buy one. I found out yesterday it's special order. You can't get it. You know, I've heard people talk about having cow tongue sandwiches. I guess it's not as much of a delicacy as I thought because you can't really buy it anywhere unless you special order. In fact, for those of you who still love cow tongue sandwiches, I was going to donate it to you today because there was no chance that I was going to eat that cow tongue. My, my only... My only interaction with a cow tongue, I have never eaten it. My only interaction was in high school at a Halloween party where, where you had to reach into brown bags blindly and feel things that are in the bag and guess what they were. And one of them was a cow tongue. It wasn't very fun to reach in. I guess it was better than the other bag that had the cow eyeball that you had to reach in and touch. But, so I was going to hold out this nice big cow tongue and say, look at the power. Look at how huge it is. Ours is so much smaller, and yet it is so much more powerful, right? Our tongues are tools that can be used as weapons of destruction or instruments of blessing, right? Most of us learn that truth early on in life, don't we? We're taught how powerful the tongue is. My guess is a lot of you sang the same kid song that I was taught when I was a kid that said, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, and be careful little mouth what you say. Or, or maybe you're familiar with, with the three wise monkeys parable, right? The one that, that sees no evil and hears no evil, and the last one that speaks no evil doing a little research, I found out that goes back, those three wise monkeys, goes back to the 4th century B.C. Right? For thousands of years, we've been teaching our children, and I hope that you are one in the long line of being taught, of how powerful our words are. Right? And so James joins in that lesson for us here by addressing the, the who this section is intended for at the very beginning, right? Who is this lesson for? Verses 1 and 2 of James chapter 3. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, it's tempting for many of us to hear those two verses and say, all right, this, this section, this chapter is not about me. It's not intended for me because I'm not a teacher. Right? And I do think James has, has those who are specific teachers in mind here, but I think it goes way beyond that as well. Right? Because we may not be teachers with the classroom. 
We may not be teachers who lead a Bible study or who stand up on Sunday mornings and preach a sermon. But the reality is every single one of us in this room here today is a teacher. You are a teacher as a parent, as a grandparent, as a friend, as a neighbor. You are constantly teaching the people around you of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As we live our daily lives, we are teaching everybody around us what it means to be a Christian. They look at you, they look at me, and they say, okay, so that's what it means to follow Jesus. They're listening to you. They're looking at you. They're learning from you. Which is why it is so important that all of us as teachers live up to this higher standard that James gives us here. We're showing the world who Jesus is. So the standard that we should be striving for in our daily lives is perfection. That's what God is calling us to. He calls us to imitate Jesus. Be just like Jesus. Live the way that Jesus lived. And Jesus lived a perfect life. The standard God calls you and calls me to is perfection. And James admits right there that that we all stumble in many ways, okay? Perfection is not possible for us here in this life. That doesn't mean we don't try. We certainly can get better. We certainly can get closer to what Jesus was. That's what the sanctification process is all about. James is setting the table here. Sanctification, we're learning to live holy lives to match the salvation gift that we've already been given. And we're showing the world around us what that looks like. And James here then goes on to reveal the key, the key to you and I coming closer and closer to that perfection standard. What is it that has the power to get us on the track and to keep us on the track leading us towards a change in holy life he says it's your tongue it's that little muscle that lives in your mouth he says our tongues have the power he says at the end of verse 2 to keep the whole body in check that's pretty amazing This little muscle in our mouths has the power to steer our whole bodies, to set the trajectory of our lives and eternity. It has the power to lead us closer to God, closer to perfection, or it has the power to drive us away from God. If you can control your tongue, James says, you have control over your whole body. And in case we find that hard to believe, Okay, come on, really the tongue of all the muscles in the body, that's the one? In case you find it hard to believe that something so small could have so much power, James gives us a few examples of small things in life that have great power, small things that hold great control. Listen to verses 3 through 8. It says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, 
but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, James starts, that section starts a very different place where he, than where he ends, that section. He starts by, by showing us the, the great power of small things to bless us in our lives, right? And the examples he gives are from the first century, and yet they can still be seen today. They're lasting examples, right? When we put a small bit into a horse's mouth, we gain control over this massively strong animal, right? Because of that little tiny piece of metal, they obey us. Now, for most of us today, horses aren't a big deal in our lives, right? Most often we see them once a year on the Kentucky Derby, right? The most exciting two minutes in sports. But think about history. Throughout history, that bit in the mouth of a horse has changed the world, literally. Right? Empires literally rose and fell because of that tool. For 3,000 years, the, the soldier on horseback or the chariot pulled by horses was the ultimate weapon that would decide battles, would decide whether empires rose or fell. Right? If you know your, your history, the Incan Empire, which was huge, was doomed by 168 Spanish conquistadors who were on horseback. 168 soldiers defeated 80,000 Incas. It's the horses that changed history for them. It's horses that shaped and developed our country, right? They cleared the forests, they plowed the lands, they herded the cattle, they powered the, the machines, they pulled the carriages, they delivered the, the mail. But I can remember years ago, Jeff DeCock spoke here for eye study. And he spoke about the, the continent of Africa where he lives. And the thing that, one of the things that stuck in my mind from his speech was he talked about how one of the major factors that limits the development in the continent of Africa is that there are no native animals that could be tamed like a horse. They haven't figured out how to put a, a bit into a zebra's mouth yet and to put it to work. How valuable has the horse been controlling and powering? Great power. The same, James says, with the small rudder of a ship. That little rudder in the back enables the, the pilot to, to steer precisely this massive ship against the powers of the current and the wind. And again, like horses, ships have changed history, right? But before the invention of the airplane, it was the ship that was the, the, the major avenue for long-distance travel. I guess many of you here have had relatives who came over on the boat, right? They came over on a boat because there weren't airplanes. If you wanted to get somewhere, you got on a boat. Still today, it happens without us thinking about it, but ships are moving goods and services all over the world. They're moving our economy. And the small rudder 
makes a world of difference. Okay, so he starts by saying, look at these things. Aren't they cool? Look how powerful they are. Look how good they are. But by the end of that section, he's reminding us that these small things have the power to destroy as well. They have the power to be used for evil, to inflict great pain. Ask the 80,000 Incas who were massacred by the soldiers on horses. Ask the parents of the school children from that Korean ferry a couple years ago. The rudder turned them too sharp. The ship capsized, and they all drowned. Ask the people whose ancestors came over on the boat in the holds of a slave ship about the power of a rudder and the power of a ship. Small things in our lives have, have great power for good and great power for evil. And then James says, your tongue is the same thing. Your tongue is one of these small things that has the power to shape your life, that has the power to shape this world, literally. He warns us of the immense power that our tongues have to hurt people around us in verses 5 and 6, right? Did you hear some of the words that he used there? he's shocking us with the truth, right? He compares the power of our tongue. He says it's like a forest fire. Your tongue is like the spark that sets the whole forest on fire. And that spark at the start seems so insignificant. But before you know it, it becomes an uncontrolled raging fire, devastating and destructive. He calls your tongue a world of evil. Right, this one small part of the body right, that just poisons the whole thing. In fact, if, in case a world of evil isn't stunning enough for you, he goes on even further. He, he uses words like, like your tongue is a force of hell. Your tongue is a restless evil. Your tongue is deadly poison that infects everything. But you really don't need words to be convinced of that, do you? My guess is all of us here have felt the hellish power of the tongue. You felt words that inflict pain in your life. My guess is a lot of you have felt the power of a lie told about you or told to you. You felt the power of the words of gossip spoken behind your back. You felt the power of the words from a bully spoken to your face. You felt the power of a taunt. You felt maybe the power of silence. When an apology or words of comfort and assurance should have been spoken. This little muscle in our mouths holds the power to destroy relationships, to break apart friendships, to dissolve marriages and families, to devastate churches. With our tongues, we can kill things like goodness and trust and love and joy. With our tongues, we can crush hope. 
You know, we say, sticks and stones can break my bones and words will never hurt me. We all know that's a lie, don't we? Our tongues can unleash devastating pain. They have the awesome power to hurt. But when controlled and used for good, they also have the power to heal. Right? It's our tongues that we just use to sing praises to God. And if you sit in the front, you can hear the beauty of all the voices, of all the tongues singing praise. It's with our tongues that we speak love to each other, to the ones that we care about most deeply. It's with our, our tongues we speak love to God. It's with our tongues that we speak truthfulness to each other. It's with our tongues that we offer forgiveness when we've been wronged. It's with our tongues that we offer grace when we've been hurt. It's with our tongues that, that we offer mercy when we've been offended. Our tongues are an awesome tool for healing. So no, you hold the power. You control the muscle that can be used as a tool for the powers of hell or a tool for the powers of heaven. But it cannot be both at the same time. It can't be. We like to live that way. We like to speak two different languages, speak two different ways. It, just like these new believers that James is writing to, they were living that way, right? These young believers he's writing to were learning, were learning how to praise God with their tongues. They were learning how to confess Jesus to their neighbors. They were learning how to celebrate their salvation as we did this morning. But then they were also using their tongues to speak evil of others. They were using their, their words to tear others down, to demean them and destroy them. How they spoke to God in the church community was radically different from how they spoke to people outside the church community. We know what that's like, don't we? We're not that unfamiliar with that. We know the parents who are syrupy sweet on Sunday mornings and then verbally abuse their children during the week. We know the bosses who, who sing their love for Jesus on Sundays in church and then turn around and demean their employees all week long. We know the pastors who preach about humility on Sunday and then pridefully boast all throughout the week. And we all know ourselves and how we aren't always true to who we say we are with our words. And we have labels for that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's called hypocrisy and duplicity. We're two-faced. We're deceitful when we speak and live out of both sides of our mouths, right? And James makes it clear that you can't have this both ways. That hypocrisy can't continue. Listen to verses 9 through 12. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? 
neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You can't miss the fact that James points out here. You can't miss the fact that our tongues reveal to ourselves and reveal to everybody around us who we truly are. Who we are deep down inside at the core because our words reveal our hearts. What comes out of our mouths reveals what is deep inside our souls. Just like the water coming out of the spring reveals whether it's a freshwater spring or a saltwater spring. Just like the fruit that grows on the tree or the bush reveals what kind of seed we planted. So our, worlds, our words reveal a heart that is either steeped in evil or steeped in holiness. Your gossip, those words of gossip, reveal a self-centered and selfish heart inside. But your words of compassion reveal a caring heart and a loving heart inside. Your words of bullying reveal a heart that is cruel. But your words of encouragement reveal a heart that is loving. Your swearing reveals a heart inside that is crass and foolish. Your well-thought-out godly words instead reveal a wise heart. We reveal who we are. Jesus makes this clear. Luke chapter 6, he declares this. He says, no tree bears, no, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the, listen to this, out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus uses that same line in Matthew 12 when the Pharisees accuse him of being an agent of Satan instead of an agent of God. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? And again, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your word you will be condemned. Because your words show what's in your heart. The source of your words, what controls your tongue is your heart. Your words, our words matter a lot because they reveal not only what is in your heart, but they reveal who is in your heart. And our words also matter a lot, James says, because it's our tongues that will direct who we are also going to become. They shape our future. That's the kind of power they have. That's why this last section in chapter 3 is so important. Most of the times when you want to read a section about the tongue here, you stop at verse 12. But the rest of the chapter is, is vital to the same message because these verses call us then to live with a heart full of wisdom. 
They call us to wisdom. Listen to the rest of the chapter, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So, so James just called us. He just reminds us that the words coming out of our mouth are going to reflect what's in your heart. So now he says, just pay attention to, to your heart. Pay attention to who you are becoming. Pay attention to what your words and what your tongue are revealing about you. And James says, you have two options here of who you can be and who you can become. As you and I live out our lives day by day, week by week, year by year, wherever we're placed, home, work, school, we are either following the wisdom of this world, James says, or we're following the wisdom of heaven. We're either filled in our hearts with the wisdom of this world, or we're filled in our hearts with the wisdom of heaven. And your words will reflect that. Your words will direct that. Think about your words, about what you say and how you say it. Which wisdom, the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of heaven, are you speaking course, none of us are going to eagerly and, and willingly jump up and say, yeah, I'm following the wisdom of the world. This wisdom of the world that James says is characterized by envy, selfish ambition. This wisdom of the world that James says is earthly and unspiritual and for the devil. I don't think anybody's going to say, yeah, that's me. But I think we need to realize this morning that, that that wisdom of this world doesn't always sound that horrible. It doesn't always sound that evil. It's a lot more subtle. Sometimes a selfish heart sounds like a truly dedicated competitor on the sports field who wants nothing but winning. Sometimes a, a selfish heart simply sounds like a retiree enjoying what's rightfully theirs. Sometimes a prideful heart simply sounds like a parent and a grandparent talking about the kids that they love. Sometimes a greedy heart just sounds like a good business leader doing what's right for the bottom line, right? Sometimes a, a worldly heart sounds a lot like a parent just trying to provide for their children every good experience that society expects them to have. Sometimes those are words that we all speak. But if we were to dig down to the core of the heart that they're coming out of, we would find out that they're words of envy and selfishness and worldliness overflowing from a heart that is unspiritual and a heart that James says 
is of the devil. Now, verses 17 and 18, on the other hand, give us, give us a taste of the wisdom of heaven. And he uses words like these words and, and, and this speech and, and this heart is pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. Are those words that describe your heart? Are those words that then describe the words that are overflowing out of your heart? They certainly are words that describe Jesus, aren't they? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. Of course they reflect Jesus. Remember, our words reveal what's in our hearts. So if we have given our hearts over to be mastered by Jesus, if Jesus is deep at the core of who we are truly, truly, then our words are going to reveal him. They're going to show Jesus. There will be a unity, James says, of your heart and of your tongue, both desire and word. As Mindy started us this morning, words are all over the place. We speak so many words without even thinking. Our, our ears are full of words. Our mouths are full of words. Know that your words matter a lot. James dedicates a whole chapter, one chapter out of his five, to our tongues to this small muscle that carries immense power to reveal us and direct us. But it's interesting, isn't it? The tongue not only speaks, but the tongue also tastes, doesn't it? This small muscle, really what James is saying is, this small muscle is what will give us either a taste of heaven here on earth or will keep us from tasting heaven here on earth. Because remember, what we're tasting is the overflow of our hearts. So pay close attention this week to what is overflowing out of your heart through your tongue. How does it taste? Does it taste bitter or sweet? Does it taste rotten or fresh? Is what's overflowing out of your heart through your tongue, appealing or revolting? Does what's overflowing out of your heart build others up or tear them down? Be wise. Make sure our tongues are tools for blessing, not destruction. So listen carefully this week, hopefully beyond too. Listen to your words that you speak with your family. The words you speak with your friends, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, maybe even, maybe especially with your enemies. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Not only because the Father up above is looking down in love, but be careful, little mouth, what you say. Because the world around you is listening 
So listen carefully to yourself. Learn who you are and learn whose you are through the words you speak. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you have spoken to us words of love, words of grace, words of forgiveness, words of salvation. And yes, we're even grateful that you've spoken to us words of discipline when we've needed it. Father, we ask that our words might reflect your words. That our tongue and our mouth might speak your words and reflect your presence. And even as we pray that, we realize, Father, that we're asking for much more than just control of our tongue. What we're asking for is that Jesus would take up residence deep in our lives that he would take the throne of our hearts, that we would make him Lord and King and Master because it is only out of the overflow of the heart that our mouth will speak. And if Jesus isn't there, if you, Father, are not at the core of who we are, if you are not our first love and our top priority, then our words will not reflect you. And so, Father, for some of us here, we want to recommit that core of our heart to you. Maybe for somebody here, we want to put you there for the very first time. Either way, Father, we offer you our heart. We offer you our soul. We offer you everything that we are. Please, Come and be our Lord, be our leader, so that we might reflect you in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team, I invite you to come on forward if you would. We're going to sing one more song together. We're going to sing one song that offers all the parts of who we are.